And Johnson into the slot, loads it up with a shot, he scores! Ken Johnson wins it for Columbus in overtime. 701 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Oh, wait, there's no Bruff. He's got a day off. I'm here, though. Laddie's here. What up, Laddie? Hey, how's it going? A-Dog's here. What up, dog? Hello. Uh, we are the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This show is a presentation of the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are in hour two of the program. I know that was a lot of soccer talk we threw at you in the previous segment. Fear not. This entire hour, all hockey, tons of Canucks, including the Canucks opponent tonight, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Aaron Portsline is going to join us in just a moment here to break down things from the Blue Jackets side of things. Uh, he is part of hour two, so is Kevin Woodley. Hour two of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. The Columbus Blue Jackets are not having a good year. They are 15-30-3. They are 8th in the wildly competitive Metropolitan Division, but they've actually played okay recently. They've won two of their last three. They got points in all three. We heard the audio coming back from break. Local boy Kent Johnson, nice little run. Three points in his last three games. OT winner the other night. So it's a team that where there's a lot going on and there's a lot of storylines with this traveling show that is the Columbus Blue Jackets, which goes tonight at Rogers Arena. Joining us now to talk more Blue Jackets, it's Aaron Portsline from The Athletic in Columbus here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Aaron. How are you? Good morning, fellas. Doing pretty well. How are you? We're good. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. Um, I mentioned right off the top in doing my little Blue Jackets recap that the record... It's not good. It's, you know, double the amount of losses than wins. They're last in the division. I got to ask to start. I know it's not always great to start with a negative, but I'm going to go there anyway. How disappointing has this season been for the Columbus Blue Jackets so far? Well, yeah, well, it's the reality, isn't it? I mean, look at the standings and keep no down. Keep no, keep going, keep going down more. There there they are right at the bottom. (laughs) I don't think anybody expected that. I mean, especially the last, season this team was really competitive maybe maybe more competitive than than people would have expected and I think that coupled with the acquisition of Johnny Gaudreau this summer really sent expectations into hyperdrive and and the organization really did not do much to dissuade people of that notion that this was a playoff team they said it themselves so they kind of set themselves up for this um, but it has been even, you know, it's been disappointing, I think, beyond anyone's expectations. They didn't play worth a, a darn the first few weeks of the season. They were not a good hockey team at all. And then the injuries just became overwhelming. And, you know, when you take a Wierenski out of the lineup, Jake Voracek was the leading point producer last year. Line A's been out of the lineup three different times. Boone Denner missed more than a month. You take all of those, those are huge pieces for them. You take those out of the equation, and there's just no real opportunity to get back from this slow start, and it just it's come in on them big time. They have played better, as you said. Lately, they've been very competitive. Uh, the game in Calgary, of course, was an emotional game for them, mm-hmm. and I was impressed with the way they responded the following game in, in Edmonton. It's very, very competitive that night. 
So maybe they've found a little bit of traction here. They've not been an easy out for a little bit, uh, but they've just been wildly inconsistent all season. I know every coach will say injuries aren't an excuse and next man up and everything, but I feel like, Juan, that's a load because everyone knows that when you're missing some of your best players, you can't make up for it. Uh, And two, no one likes to rely on excuses, but do the Jackets have a sort of baked-in or built-in excuse because it's Wierenski, Voracek, Chinikov's been out, Bean's been out. So it's not just the the top-end guys at the top of the roster. It's also important depth guys as well. Just feel like they've really been beleaguered by injuries this year. Yeah, they have. And, and like, let's just be clear, too. That there, there was not a lot of margin for error at the start of the season, and there were major question marks at the start of the season at two very, very important spots right down the middle. Could their center play, which seemed to be on the right track at the end of last season, could that continue to improve? And it hasn't. Their top four defense, can they figure out, you know, the other two spots other than Wierenski and Gavrikov? And, they have it, and part of that on, on defense is because of the injuries. But center ice just hasn't been good enough. But you put all of those injuries on top of, of those questions, which they did not get good answers to, and it's made for a, a real rough turn. There was one, there was a stretch, probably five or six games, where they had eleven rookies in the line. Eleven rookies in the lineup. Uh, how do you? How can you? Play, guys who were not really even regular AHL players now found themselves on the cusp of the NHL. Guys, Marcus Bjork, who was a first-year AHL player, is now running the point on the power play right. uh, a month into the season because Wierenski's out, Bean is out, Bokvist is out. Um, it's really hit them at the vital, vital spots that, that, again, give them no chance to recover. Uh, Jake Voracek, we mentioned him briefly there. Um, I know there's no updates because it's expected. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's going to miss likely the entire season with post-concussion symptoms. Um, What's the outlook long-term? Are they thinking that this might be a career-threatening thing, or is there just no updates because, as we've seen with concussions, sometimes it's very hard to try and put any timeline on a return. Yeah, and and they, I I think the concern for him is the next concussion. Right. Uh, and the concern for doctors is like he's had enough of these heaven earlier this season that took him longer to recover from than any of his previous and felt different, he said. And that sent off alarms with doctors. So uh, he's not going to play again this year. There's, I mean, can you, what is the point of even attempting that? And there's a very real chance that his career is over. My understanding is that. He's either gone back to the Czech Republic or is going back to the Czech Republic. His stuff is out of the room. It's, hmm. it's like he's already moved on in a lot of ways. So I, it, I think nobody wants to say it, but I think the the high likelihood is that he is most likely done playing. We're speaking to Aaron Portsline from the Athletic in Columbus here on the Halford and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. It is the Blue Jackets and the Canucks tonight, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. Uh, when you look at Columbus this year, Aaron, it's hard not to look at the fact that we're halfway through the year. They've had three different goalies, and all three of them have played at least 10 games. That usually suggests that you might have some issues in net. How problematic has goaltending been for the Jackets this year? It's been problematic on, like, multiple levels. The first problem has been Elvis Merzlikens, who just has not had a good season at all. He's been better of late. But, I mean, just look at those numbers. Holy smokes, that's that's some scary stuff. Um, The ripple effect is, 
uh, of the injuries have hit goaltending as well. Merzlikens has been out multiple times. corpusallo has been out. The plan was to let Daniil Tarasov be the AHL number one this year, and that hasn't been possible because he's been up here as the backup. He started a few games in the NHL as well. He just hasn't had the game repetition that they wanted to get him this year because of the injuries that have required him to be up here. So and he's, he needs waivers next year, which that's not going to happen. So he's, he's an NHL goaltender next year. Their best goalie, Jonas Corposalo, is a UFA. And so they're in this weird spot where Tarasov has to be in the NHL next year. Merzlikens is in the first year of a five-year contract. And their best goalie is the UFA. So what are they going to do? With that, I think Corpusalo has played his way back into trade contention. I think he now has value coming off of hip surgery last year. I think if you're wondering if he's healthy and back to his old self, the guy that had a great performance in the bubble against Toronto and, and Tampa, um, he is back. And so I think they think there's some value there. But it has to be an uneasy situation if you're the Yarmo Kekalainen to be trading away the goaltender that has played the best for you this year. But that's kind of what they're up against. Uh, second year behind the bench for Brad Larson in Columbus. The first year, he was close to NHL 500, 37, 38, and 7. So that sort of was what it was. The expectations for this season, I'm not exactly sure what they were because there was a lot of excitement around the Goudreau signing, but also the realization, as you said, a pretty thin margin of error whether this team was going to be successful or not. What's been the response to the job Brad Larson has done in year two behind the bench in Columbus? Well, I mean, if you use Twitter as the judge, it, it's, um, it's, a rough, it's a rough go for Brad Larson. Always a dangerous Every- task, but yes, I hear what you're saying, yeah. Yes, and it's, I, I always get kind of a chuckle because every time they lose, there's you've got half of Twitter saying "woohoo, lottery, Connor Bedard," and the other half saying "fire the coach." Um, I mean, it's like, well, which one do you want here? You know, this is if you're if if you think you want Connor Bedard, this is this is what needs to happen. Um, you know, I, I, in his defense, the, the injuries are a shield for him, just as they are for for uh, Yarmo Kekalainen. and it does not excuse the way that they started the season. I wouldn't be surprised if they reevaluate the coaching position at the end of the year, Columbus. I think if you add a top player, Fantilli, Bedard, whoever they acquire, um, the kid from Sweden, then you have to reconsider what you're doing. I mean, it, it, how has the team changed with Gaudreau? You're now a skill team. Um, is he the, the guy who's best for developing this young talent? that's still an incredibly young team. He's trying to work Marchenko in, Kent Johnson in, Cole Stillinger's is a 19-year-old player. feels like he's been here forever because he's over 100 NHL games. But they're still very, very young. They have to consider more than wins or losses here. It's, it's development. It's developing the young players. And I think that will determine Brad Larson's fate as much as wins and losses are the young players showing n- notable clear, tangible progress towards being uh, big-time NHL players. You mentioned Kent Johnson there, the local boy, Port Moody's very, yeah. on, very own. Nice little run, three points in the last three games. We played the audio of the OT winner the other night. Look, he broke in as a 19-year-old. You mentioned this team's very young. He was one of, if not the youngest, 
Uh, it's not been a bad campaign. Uh, nine goals, 22 points in 45 games. So you're looking at a season where he'll score maybe 15 goals and 40 points. I think for a kid that started the year at 19 and now just turned 20, that's pretty decent. Uh, give us a rundown of Kent Johnson's season so far for all the locals wanting an update on Port Moody native. Yeah, well, when you look at the, the kids a half a point a game and playing 13 and a half minutes a night, they they played him at center when Jenner went down. That was pretty rich for him. I think he feels a little more free on the wing. So maybe he stays on the wing, but he's a playmaker. He's a, a darting, shifty player. He's been pretty productive uh, given given what he's up against. His line mates change all the time. Um, the one thing that's kind of cool is Johnny Gaudreau sees in, in Kent Johnson a lot of himself at that age. An undersized player. Now, Johnson's like six feet tall, but the, he's never going to be a big framed guy. He's a light player. Um, and they've, they've bonded a bit over how to survive in the NHL when you're in the land of giants. <laughs> right. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but he's, he's, he is a playmaking winger and is a, it going to be an exciting player to, to watch. And I know he's fired up. This is his first NHL game in Vancouver. I would suspect he'll, he'll bring it tonight. And, and, uh, you see with him and Marchenko and his slight increase in ice time where Brad Larson is feeling more comfortable putting them in more situations. And that's only going to increase if Gustav Nyquist, uh, their veteran winger, remains out of the lineup. So it's an interesting dynamic at play here because we started this conversation talking about how the year has been a disappointment. We pointed to the record. Yet that disappointment could end up being a great thing in the end because of the guy that you mentioned a little while ago, Connor Bedard, who, of course, is buddies with Kent Johnson. So I got to imagine that, like any team that is having a rough go this year, and this includes the Vancouver Canucks, uh, fan base, Twitter, maybe even some of the reporters covering the team have to look at and say, well, maybe it's not all bad because it does position you better for the lottery for this generational talent. I guess the question is, is the decisions that have to be made to not necessarily tank, but continue with the trend of not being successful. It's always a dicey proposition, and it seems weird in Columbus because they did have this big offseason acquisition with Gaudreau, which is a sort of win-now move. But, Aaron, I imagine you have to look at this in at times and say, well, maybe the best thing for this team is to continue on this path for this year and then potentially get in and get a guy like Bedard, or as you mentioned, Fantilli. Yeah, and I think one thing that, that is good to constantly – uh, remind ourselves of is that tanking is a management act, not a player act. Thank you for putting right. that out there. We try to do that as often as we can. It's not a player thing. Yeah, it's player, it's a management thing. Nothing in the room drives players crazy more than that stuff. And, and yet some of them are wise enough to say, yeah, you know, we could use Connor Bedard, but that's not, that's, that, that's not in play among the players in the room. But this, this team, this organization has fully embraced um, I wouldn't say they're tanking in that they're intentionally trying to lose. They're not, you know, uh, scratching players that that get hot. They're not sending goalies to the AHL who are who are doing well. That's been done before. Hello, Pittsburgh. Um, but they they've they realize the situation, and again, the injuries give them cover. They don't feel like they're that far behind. Like they don't feel like this is a classic worst team in the league where there's just nothing there in the cupboards. They feel like there's some pieces there already that injuries have taken them away. The players have been exposed 
this year in higher roles than they're either ready for or have ever played in the NHL. Um, so, yes, they, they, there's a huge part of the fan base for sure that is full-on Connor Bedard, Adam right. Santilli. Um, and that's that's something this organization has never done. They have never been at the bottom of the league in a year where you can really make a difference. They've missed out on Crosby, uh, McKinnon, Malkin, all of those guys, and they've always had the run in February or March that's put them at 22nd place or whatever. There's those, those prideful finishes they tell you about that are going to springboard you into next year, which never quite springboard you into next year. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen this year because I think they realize the situation that's in front of them. Aaron, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game to the night. Enjoy the game tonight and the rest of the season. Maybe we'll do this later on in the year. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. That's Aaron Portsline from the Athletic in Columbus. The Columbus Blue Jackets, of course, are taking on the Vancouver Canucks tonight, seven o'clock, Rogers Arena. Kent Johnson and company. Yes, Greg. You are taking on the. They said the Columbus Blue Jackets are tanking. Not quite. Not well, quite. <laughs> okay, so they're in that. They're in that really interesting position. Not unlike the Canucks, where they've fallen short of expectations, and everyone's looking around the room saying, are we tanking? Well, you mentioned Elvis Merzlikens numbers this year. Do you guys want to hear them? They're ghastly, but they yeah, say them out loud. Ghastly. 20 games, 868 save percentage, and a 448 goals against average, negative 22 Goals saved above average. How long, how long has that Corpus Allo, Merzlikens thing been going on? Because it feels like one of them has been on the verge of being traded for like three or four years now. Am I wrong? Uh, it goes back well, to the Corpus Allo rumors go back. Yeah. Way, yeah, go way back. They've had Merzlikens in the system for years, No, I know, years but it too, always feels so, yeah. like one jumps ahead of the other, and then they're like, oh, now we get to keep this guy, and we'll trade the other one. And then it flips in a couple. Remember when Corpus Allo was in the bubble, and he had like 93 saves again? Was it Toronto? Well, the Leafs come back. Yeah, against yeah. Toronto, and everyone was like, this is the guy now. They're going to move Merzlikens. It always moves back and forth there. Who knows who you'll see tonight, by the way. Uh, they haven't played since Wednesday night, so they've had a, an off day, I'm assuming, in Vancouver. Uh, okay, it's been a hot minute here since we talked about Andre Kuzmenko. To those of you who were hoping that their commute, however long or short that it was, had some hot Kuzmenko talk, I'm sorry that we kind of went in different directions, but we're back now. Uh, here is a text from Jeff in Black Creek. He's baffled. Jeff is baffled. He writes, this is absolutely embarrassing. I can't understand why they've announced the Kuzmenko deal. Could they not have announced it after they traded Bo? It seems to weaken their bargaining power. Or is this just another episode of unnecessary, disrespectful gestures to a member of the Canucks organization? There's a lot to unpack here. One, I don't know if the Kuzmenko deal has any tangible effect on what's going to happen with Bo Horvat's trade situation. I think everyone knew that Horvat wasn't long for Vancouver with or without Kuzmenko's deal being announced. I get that optically it doesn't look great, and the way that Dollywall pointed it out with that audio that we played earlier in the show, that one, they've made their choice, and this time it's Kuzmenko over Horvat. Add another one to the list of guys they've chosen over Horvat. And two, that Horvat's agent, Pat Morris, is actually in Vancouver, and they're not taking meetings with him. Again, this is all reported. This is Rick Dollywall, Donnie and Dolly on Czech TV. Um, I don't, I think these, when you look at these moves, you just say that the reason that they're doing this is because they know where they're going. There's no sense in saying or keeping the quiet part quiet. You can say the quiet part out loud. 
if anything, you could you know, twist this in your mind grapes to say, this is the Canucks way of saying to the entire league, yeah. hey, look, we're ready to this move. This is the signal that they have. It's the, the bat signal. The, the plan is in place here. We have our guy. Here's who we're going with. We got him at a reasonable price. We're ready for the next step. We're ready to move on. I, I agree. I think that's the, the step they're taking. Here. Should GMs have bat singles? Like, should they make a player silhouette and put it on a thing and light it up into the sky when they're ready to make a trade? Bruff and I have always joked, like, I wonder how it goes. Like, if you're ready to trade a guy, do you have, like, a, an email and then 30 GMs blind CC'd on it so they can't see who's also getting the email? Imagine everybody's just in an open text thread, all yeah. the GMs together. Or a WhatsApp. Just pure chaos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I could, I mean, that's the thing. Is I don't, I, You do, at times, need to... Fast track a process. It's like with Besser, for example. The way that they did it was they told the agent, you go find a trade. Go start talking to teams. We're granting you the permission to do it. It's not all that uncommon. I don't think it's gotten to the point of the reply all email, but I do think that this is probably, like Dolly said, it's 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 a signal to the rest of the league. Like, yeah, he's, I mean, it's the exact same cap hit. That's, I mean, it's a very subtle but understated message mm-hmm. that, Five point five million AAV gets signed, and Horvat's got a five point five million AAV, and that's going out the door. Why right? aren't the Canucks letting teams talk extension with Horvat? What's the why aren't aren't? Well, I think Frank's kind of run it down a couple times on this station, right? They don't want to lose that bargaining chip mm-hmm. because if he wants to go a certain direction and he makes it very clear he wants to go in that direction, teams kind of forced to put him in that direction. It's it's the de facto no trade clause. Frank well. The other part Would of it, a team not offer up more, though, if they knew they can get him? They could. They want to sign him, though. That's the thing. The teams want to sign Horvat. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Teams can also mess with you in these situations, though. They can use it as a fact-finding mission, or they can use it as oh, yeah, expressing interest and then figuring out what the extension looks like. I mean, they're good. A, a team could get involved solely to make sure that Horvat doesn't go to a team in their division or a team that they might play in the playoffs. Like that's not That sounds underhanded and sneaky, but it's also a hyper-competitive landscape with 32 individuals that all know each other and they're all assuming that one's out to screw the other one right and that's a that's a big part of this that's fair yeah like there are I mean that that's the biggest grift right now about interviewing coaches is half the general managers do it so they can pick their brains for like what would you do to fix our team Uh uh-huh uh-huh interesting interesting and you take those notes and you just Use them, right? Not stealing. Yeah, but that's way. that's part of the game, right? You interview fifteen head coaches, you're going to get a lot of information because what's each coach is going to go in earnestly. Oh, I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to tell these guys what I think I can do or how I'm going to strategize, and then that's just it's all information gathering. So your play would be to go in and have a terrible interview. Yeah, I don't know what's uh, how that's do you how I've gotten so far in my careers tanking interviews intentionally. No, but I mean, it's all part of it. And so anyway, back to your point, Andy, with Horvat, is I do think that there's an element of this. Like Rutherford's old school, and he knows that the more cooks that are in the kitchen, it's got a chance to spoil the soup, especially, and, and then agents get involved. And then it's, you know, the agent is now going directly to a team and talking about what an extension might look like or no, my client's not going to sign here, so don't even bother getting in the mix. You want to drive up a frenzy for Horvat right now. Like all due respect, to Jonathan Taves and Ryan O'Reilly, if you're talking about short-term, immediate impact this season, I would put forth, I mean, I know I'd get some pushback, but I would put forth that Horvat, Horvat's going to be 
more impactful. Yeah, even more than O'Reilly. Like, O'Reilly's having a poor season. O'Reilly's got a lot of miles on the odometer. I'm not sure that he's going to have the kind of impact that Horvat, who, by the way, is on pace to score 40-plus goals, so not just an impact player, but an impact player that's on a heater of a season. I feel like there's real impact there. There's real potential there. I think a lot of teams around the NHL know this. And I think major surgery himself, Jim Rutherford, knows that if this is going to be a big part of that procedure, I'm using a lot of surgery analogies right now, but if he knows that that's going to be a big part of the procedure, they have to get it right. So that means maximizing Horvat's value. So to the earlier texter, try and look at it the other way. Maybe this is all a sign of let's try and drive up this market and make this as frenzied a market as possible. Uh, coming up, more Canucks talk on the Alfred and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Kevin Woodley, NHL.com, In Goal Magazine. He's going to join us next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Seven thirty-two on a Friday, sweet, sweet Friday. Happy Friday, everybody! This is my second favorite unlicensed music track the woodley song yeah uh number one is obviously for quincy or clancy i always screw this or quincy or quincy is number one which is basically the old hockey night in canada theme song on steroids did you say for clancy clancy that's what i always it's always okay my mind goes hey did me twice yeah that's right and then of course Derek clancy connects assistant general manager at least i think i've never heard from him or seen him. We reference him though quite a bit on this. Clancy, use the remote. Anyway, Four Quincy's my favorite. This is my second favorite song. This is a great song. Yeah, it's kind of like Hawaii Five O sort of. It's got that yep. vibe to it. I just typed in Woody. And- oh, that's right. That's how you came about this. Yeah. I forgot. Dangerous yeah. search. Uh, <laughs> it's music, Andy. <laughs> it's music. <laughs> Halvern and Rub of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and Ingle Magazine is going to join us in a moment here. Uh, Hour 2 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Finally. Clancy. Clancy. Finally. Is that where he shoots the television because he can't find the remote? I think that's the one, yeah. Yeah. Clancy, use the remote. (laughs) Oh, here it is. Uh, we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Phone lines, Canucks Talk, Kuzmenko Talk. Coming up, uh, Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and Ingold Magazine here on the Halford Show. <laughs> what up, Kev? I am just glad that my nickname could bring such joy to the three of you. I do agree it was a dangerous search. However, I am, I will be honest with you, I miss the days of us being sponsored by an erectile dysfunction company because that was also a fun play on my nickname. That's true. I, I miss the boing sound effect. I know. That the was bo- great. The boing was good. Bye. Yeah. That's a good track, though. I'm not going to lie. That's It's a good song. It, it also oh, it gets you up, up, if it will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Um, yesterday, and of course it happens just moments after we're off the air, the Canucks announced that they have re-signed Andre Kuzmenko to a two-year, $11 million deal, an extension, that there was a lot of talking points off of, without question, a lot of people were asking, where is this major surgery that Jim Rutherford was talking about? A lot of other people were happy that they were able to get uh, a near point-of-game guy, a potential 30-goal guy, 
on a reasonably good ticket with minimal term. Uh, There was a back and forth, Kev. I'm sure you know all of it. But when you first heard that the deal was done and it got announced, what were your immediate thoughts upon learning that Andre Kuzmenko had signed a two-year extension with a $5.5 million cap hit? The first thing that came to my mind was, oh boy, I can't wait for a whole bunch of this back and forth rhetoric between the two sides of this deal. Because yep. um, you knew this was coming, right? Very like, polarizing. Very polarizing. Yeah, and like I guess one of the one of the things is this is their guy. This is the one that they got, that they landed, that hit. Um, still doesn't mean you have to do the deal, but I wonder how much of this was prearranged and what the damage would have been done and how much we would have heard from that side. Um, if you had something, you know, outlined loosely as to how this would look if he hit, and then completely walk from it in terms of dealing with that agent or other players that way. And I think that stuff probably gets overstated at the end of the day when you have, for the most part, the money or the term to offer, you get your guy. Um, This is one of those strange cases or odd cases where, you, know, you could only offer so much, so you really were trying to sell the organization, and they didn't. How much would, would that have been undone if you then turned around and said, you know all those things we were going to do in terms of keeping you long-term if this went well and how much you like the city and all those things? Well, sorry, we need the asset. We're going to trade you. And I'm, I'd be curious to see what the market was for him. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it seems to be presumed there's a first-round pick. Uh, as good as he looks, do, do people view him as a piece that would put them over the top in the playoffs. Because from a style perspective, um, I mean, he's been a great fit on the power play. He does go around the net. Like, you, you don't have those answers. We don't have those answers. I guess in some ways, I, I hate to say this because I know people don't trust management here since the last group did them dirty um, and, and kept saying things like, well, we had to throw in an extra pick because this guy was once a first-rounder. Right. Um, you know, I guess to a certain degree you got to trust that that process i hear the other side too like i i hear both sides of this i fully understand uh that it, it's once again a doubling down on a team that has has been an abject failure so if you're going to make this move you sure as hell better find a way to move on some of the other wingers that you're paying similar amounts um like again like what are they what are they in for wingers like one of the most devalued positions around the league mm-hmm. um, compared to centers, compared to defensemen, which, oh, by the way, they're really going to need both of those. The defensemen we've known for a long time, the centers, because you're about to lose Bo Horvat. So um, both arguments are sound. I understand both of them. And I guess this is, if nothing else, it's really good for Sports Talk Radio. And this team has given us a whole bunch of that this season. Well, a lot of people have made note of the fact that, oh, it's a $5.5 million cap hit, the exact same cap hit that Bo Horvat currently has. And a lot of people have like rightly speculated that if it wasn't abundantly clear that they were going to trade Horvat yesterday, kind of sealed it. I, I think that ship sailed when they did the JT Miller deal, frankly. I agree. Uh, and, and I don't. I'm not so sure that part of the issues around this team this year are that everyone else in that room saw that that ship sailed when they did the JT Miller deal. I'm not saying a big part of it, but certainly a part of it. What did we talk about in the preseason? Talk about how discombobulated their entire preseason was. Didn't have a home, renovations, um, just unsettled, uncertain. And I think Bo Horvat's situation and his status in that room and what he means to this team was a part of that. Yet another unsettled, uncertain situation. That's not to hand a group of professional athletes yet another excuse. Um, 
But between that and a uh, head coach who pretty much had been cut off at the knees publicly ever since the end of the previous season, like there were, were a whole lot of things swirling. They talk about the noise around this team. A lot of it is self-inflicted. And you'd be, you'd be really naive to think that the players don't, or don't have the same discussions. Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting because the the debate, like so many debates that we have in Vancouver Sports Talk Radio about the Canucks is super polarized. It's A or B, it's black or white. And in the Kuzmenko one, it was trade or re-sign. And there's valid points on both, and that's why it's a, a great debate and why we have it so often. But the knock-on effects are what's really interesting for me because – it's it's delaying this major surgery that Rutherford's talked about, right? Like, Rutherford has said it on the record. I thought it was going to be minor surgery to this roster. It's going to be major surgery. And if we play with that analogy here, uh, Kuzmenko isn't the surgery part. God, they're adding an appendage at that point. So it's, it then becomes the knock-on effect. What happens to Horvat? Now, we played audio from Frege earlier. And clearly, it's not just Horvat that's going to be part of this major. It can't surgery. be. It has to be wingers now too. But we've no, this is the problem. wingers. Wait, okay, well, the, the, where I'll go. Sorry, you go first, and then I'll come well, back to my. Say, yeah. Have you delayed major surgery, or have you made it impossible? And I hate using a medical analogy because they've kind of pooched that one too. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> like that's the, that's the issue now. As I said, like you better be able to find a way to move on the other guys. Because you're overcommitted on wingers, like so. So if if for anyone that's taking, as I just did to a certain degree, because believe me, like I almost just didn't go on the rant about. I can't believe they didn't just go get draft picks for this guy because so many other people already had. Right? Somebody had to take the other side. Um, that's so we could have the debate. Um, <laughs> but honestly, like if you can't, and they haven't been able to so far, find a way to move on from some of the pieces that are now overpaid and problematic and too many of them on the wings, and they don't actually get to perform any surgery in the next year or in the coming months, then that's a major problem. Kev, I'm going to play some audio for you here as soon as Laddie gets it queued up. Laddie, give me the thumbs up when we're good to go. He's too uh, busy searching Woody. Yeah, no, he's done that part. Now we're moving on to the actual act of the show. Okay, this is audio. Elliot Friedman yesterday on Tim and Friends, not long after the Kuzmenko deal became official, as it pertains to this major surgery. So, yes, Horvat, and as you pointed out, yes, Wingers. He's going to add a couple more names to the mix here. We'll play the audio, and then I'll get your reaction on the other side. This is Elliot Friedman yesterday on Tim and Friends on Sportsnet. I just feel that they, they want to keep a nucleus. They've committed to Miller. They're going to make Pedersen their guy. I think they wanted to have another forward, Kuzmenko, around them so they could score. Um, and I think, But I think you're going to see a bunch of other guys moved, Horvat, Besser, um, Myers, and, and maybe Demko. I never thought I would say that, but I think we're getting to that possibility mm-hmm. too. As the resident goalie guru, your thoughts on hearing that last little bit of audio there? Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna tear it down a little bit, which they kind of have, they said they haven't gone down to the. I don't see a replacement for Demko. Me neither. Um, in the system yet, right? Like like a guy who gives you that high of upside. They don't have one yet, um, and they don't have one that's close yet. So that's a bit problematic because you still have a team unless you perform a lot more surgeries than than even what Elliot indicated. You still have a team that has shown an inability, well, frankly, to this point, and again, we we saw it in game one and then not in game two, an unwillingness to play a style like the one they're playing down the I-5 in Seattle where goaltending doesn't actually really matter that much. Right. 
You don't, all you need Martin Jones to do is make the saves he's supposed to make. Like his high danger and mid danger save percentages are abysmal. His low danger stuff is fine. It's the only category where he's above expected, and overall he's under expected. Like Martin Jones is, and they're having success. What's he got? Twenty two, twenty three wins now. Yep. They, they haven't built a team, and obviously they feel like with all the talk of structure they can get there, they can win without great goaltending. Great goaltending. That's what's required the way they play, the way this group together plays. And so if they can get Rick Tockett to change that, then you don't need a Thatcher Demko, I guess. You can build a team like others have. They're, the Colorado Avalanche won a Stanley Cup as much as they paid for Darcy Kemper in the playoffs, mm-hmm. um, in part because of injury. Like, that wasn't the guy they got. They had, like, out of all the playoff goalies, and there were only, like, 24 or 25 of them, they're two ranked, like, 22 and 23 in adjusted save percentage, and they still won the Cup. Uh, in the decisive game, they basically didn't give up a scoring chance until the third period. They gave up one, and he made the save. Um so you can do it, mm-hmm. and certainly, you know, as we see this injury linger on, you could ask fair questions about, you know, career length and, and should you make this move now, um, but I don't see anything coming that can give you the level of goaltending required the way this team has played for the last three or four years. And I'm not convinced still that despite all the emphasis on structure and, and the things that have to change in terms of the way this team plays and the chances they give up, I'm still not convinced that this is a group that will play that way long term. Yes, maybe you can get them on the right side of the puck. Yes, maybe you can get them making less risky decisions, managing it so they don't create, you know, they don't have the worst rush chances against in terms of quality and quantity given up in the entire National Hockey League, and that's where they are. Maybe you can mitigate some of that. But this still isn't a group that, I mean, we've seen it in their own end in terms of taking care of the front of their net, in terms of the way they get in their goalie's eyes without actually blocking any shots. Like, there are still a ton of questions defensively. And and to me, the biggest thing about hiring Tockett now wasn't that for sure you can make all those changes by next season. To me, it was seeing whether any of these guys, which one of these guys will buy in and are willing to play that way long term. And I'm still not sure you're going to see that the answer is enough of them. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty aghast after the game in Seattle. I mean, we played the audio, and I, I know you've heard it all, and calling yeah. his team soft and everything. I mean, I think he was more – it was funny because he was more at a loss for words than anything else. It wasn't that the performance was super disappointing. is that he was actually stunned by how bad it was. And that's kind of like, oh, you get to see it up close, like first time, that sort of thing. And I do wonder, as we look at the goaltending position – how fair or unfair it's going to be to Spencer Martin if he is judged on this season. Because like I'm, I, I try and look at this in as many, many different ways as possible and try and gauge the reception of the fan base. And there are those out there that are saying, like, this is patently unfair to a guy that got thrown into a really difficult position and he's kind of struggled with it. And then there's other people that are saying, look, we're just, the Canucks just aren't getting saves, period. Like, good system in front of them, bad system in front of them, existing in a vacuum, not. The saves aren't there. I have time for both arguments, but I kind of like a little bit more of an expert opinion. So uh, is, it, is it fair that Martin is being judged in these current conditions? Because it is the NHL, and you're always being judged. Yeah, I mean, listen, um, the environment's been terrible for goaltending. And his numbers, as the games have gone up behind that environment, have slipped. Um, they were fine at the beginning, right? Like we're having this, they were better than Demko's, right? 
But then cumulatively, as he got in there for, what was it, eight or nine straight before they finally put Delia in, um, they regressed. And you could – it's tough. It's a chicken and egg thing. Like how much of that is the cumulative effect of a bad defensive environment? What was one of the words that we've heard Rick Tockett use con, you know, consistently? It's about predictability. Predictable, predictable, there, predictable. Yeah, you know? and for a goaltender, like remember, we've seen this all year. Like how many times have we seen two guys go to the same guy? Yeah. Or all four guys on one side of the ice with the most dangerous player on the ice left wide open on the other side. Like, goaltending is all about reads. And I, we do this weekly thing at Ingold Magazine where we sit down with NHL goaltenders and they watch video with us and they break down their reads. And if so many of them, we do it for about three years now, and I always I kind of knew what to expect in terms of what you're looking for from the other team. But it always amazes me how many of those reads are made off of what your team is doing defensively. Yes, I chose this save selection, I chose this depth, because I knew that I didn't have to worry about that chance because my guy had it. This is the way our system is, I trust him to execute it. And so that predictability, as much as nothing is 100% predictability or everybody would have a 1,000 save percentage, is important. And the degree of predictability behind this team is very low. That said, like, as, as bad as this defensive environment is, you can outplay it. Goalies outplay bad defensive environments. Thatcher Demko did for two-thirds of a season last year. Um, recognize that it's gone from bottom third to bottom three. Like, it's, it's deteriorated. They are that much worse defensively this year compared to last year. And that you've asked a guy who uh, I thought was giving you really good minutes in sort of a backup role and, and elevate, and they started to slip into the 1B to be a one behind that team. I, I think the answer is still right in the middle. Like I, people will rip me for it. They already are on Twitter. I've had to mute a few idiots. But I still think Spencer Martin over the course of the year has proven he can be an NHL goaltender okay. in the right situation. Has he proven he can be a starter on a really bad team? No, like that's, that's slipped. I think there are elements of his game that they had planned on continuing to work on this season that they would have had the time to continue to work on in the backup role. And that all went out the window when Demko got hurt because you don't have that time anymore. And that's one of the reasons they've gone back and forth is because Delia, you've seen him get better from that first game here over time because they went to work on trying to settle some of the things that he'd been chipping away at down in the American Hockey League. And he's taken a big step. And, again, everyone throws that, like the, the goaltending under the bus uh, together. But I haven't checked his numbers in the last couple of days. Like for his first number of starts, he was, he was quite a bit above expected. And it's come down, but it's still, it's still above expected behind this team. And, again, to me, it's like the more he plays, the less chance of maintaining that there is because bad defense is cumulative for goaltending. It was, it's the old Edmonton syndrome we used to see for years. Nobody takes the back door. You know the system says take the back door. You trust it for nine times, and then when it doesn't happen nine in a row because nobody's there or doing their job, you stop trusting it. So it becomes harder to maintain over time. I think we saw a bit of that with Demko. Um, so, uh, like, but I, like, I think Delia, like I had somebody say to me, Delia has proven he's an NHL goaltender in the, amidst all this. I don't think this market sees that. Okay. But when you look at the underlying numbers and you look at the way he's moving and the way he's playing, like, like he has. And I don't think Spencer Martin is that far from that. Like, I, I, I do think he's shown he can play in the NHL. A little more time to get that chest up and, and not drop it so much and start taking away a little bit more of that vertical angle, which is what they wanted to work on. Maybe a little bit of a, a sort of stance adjustment to set him up to do that a little more frequently. Um, and, and you get back to the guy. Maybe Again, I said this. This is part of the problem. Last year, his adjusted numbers 
if you extrapolated them, his small sample over over a whole season, they would have been he would have been a Vesna Trophy winner. Like he was plus four and a half percent last year. That was never going to be maintainable. Um, I didn't expect it to dip to where it is now in the negatives. But again, I think you have to recognize how much worse they are defensively. So if he's, pr- I still think he's an NHL guy. Is he a guy that can go from backup to give you 10 straight starts? I think behind this team, certainly he's shown you at this point, no. Uh, With regards to Demko and the injury, how long could they conceivably, or perhaps the right word is legitimately, uh, keep him from playing games? Because you know that there's a large section of the fan base that is looking past this season already and suggesting that it might be more beneficial for a race to the bottom rather than trying to, you know, win hockey games. I think you see where I'm going with this. And there could, I mean, could there not a case be made that you preach the utmost caution and concern with the injury and the rehab, that this gets delayed well beyond what we expected? And by that, I mean a return for Demko to the starting net. Well, I mean, I think we're already well beyond what they said was expected, right? And I was, Well, well beyond. Uh, yeah, we're already four weeks past that. But I think the key here is I don't believe that to be about – tanking or not trying to win. I believe that to be about legitimately the utmost caution and making sure that he is, when he comes back, that none of the issues that maybe had even lingered from the off-season procedure he had were a part of his game. Um, and and they, you're not bringing him back just to get him hurt again. And you're making sure that he's 100%. And that's why this is taking longer. And so you're already preaching that caution. Like, like if you're suggesting just shut him down for the whole season – um, there's two things that don't work for. One, trading Demko, which, as Elliot suggested, may be on the table now. Um, teams are going to want to see him in action and see that he looks like the guy from last year, not the guy we saw at the beginning of this season. And two, no goalie coming off a season like that injury-wise wants to go into the offseason without knowing they can trust their body. Um, it right. does all kinds of bad things right. to you mentally, including maybe try, have you trying to do too much in the offseason and putting yourself right back where you are right now. So um, I think for him, it's probably really important that he get back here, not from a can I perform, can I get back to being that guy performance-wise behind this team, but more so can I trust my body, can I move like I did before these things started to become an issue? Can I play like I did and be pain-free before these things started to become an issue? Having the answer to that in your mind before you go into the offseason to prepare for the following season, if indeed he is your guy moving forward, and if indeed you plan to, as they keep saying, continue to try and be competitive and, and not, you know, not have a race for the bottom for multiple years, then you're going to need to get some games in this year um, not just for peace of, it, like it's more that it is peace of mind, but it's even more than that. Like it just it affects everything you do in the off season in terms of preparing for the following year, um, and I think that's probably going to be really important to him. Kev, you're the best, bud. Thanks a lot for doing this. We appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the weekend. We'll do this again, not next week, but the week following. Perfect. Look forward to it. Thanks, bud. Uh, Kevin Woodley, NHL.com, Ingle Magazine, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we are headed into the final hour. Of the program here on Halford and Bruff, the Halbro experience. Um, I will say that coming up on the other side in the eight o'clock hour, it's going to be the Moj, Bob Marjanovic. He's at, hopefully he's going to show up today. Be nice because he missed last week's hit. We were all very concerned, but rest assured, Moj is fine. Uh, one of the things we're going to do with Moj is preview the AFC and NFC title games on Sunday. 
You've got the 49ers going to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. Then you've got the Bengals going to Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. Two fantastic games. I'm super psyched for them. Obviously, the winners of both games will be going to the Super Bowl. Now, did you know? The answer is yes, because I've talked about it already. But Sportsnet 650 has teamed up with the Clayton Public House to bring you the big football party on Super Sunday. I don't know what it could be. I don't know what the big football party entails, but... Pickleball attorney. I hear it's a Super Sunday. Huh? Anyone? Anyway. Uh, Sunday, February 12th, that is the big football party on Super Sunday. It is hosted by our very own Randy Janda, Sportsnet 650. You can reserve your table now at theclaytonpub.com. Note the URL, theclaytonpub.com. In addition to the Super Bowl party... There's going to be a tailgate. There's going to be drink specials, prizing throughout the day. And then, of course, that all leads up to kickoff at 3.30, the big football party on Super Sunday, February 12th. It is at the Clayton Public House. The Clayton Public House, good food, good people, good times. Randeep's a volunteer to wrestle one lucky listener. Or maybe a bear if we bring one. Oh, yeah. Who's to say? Yeah. If you're able to bring a bear. Yeah, if you, if you, the listener, can bring a bear, polar, panda, grizzly, doesn't matter. He will wrestle it. We're putting I'd say pa- Panda is probably your best bet because they're always stoned. <laughs> they don't do much. I think I, I think I could take a Panda bear. The sloth bear, essentially. Uh, look this, at, they just sit there. They don't do anything. This conversation has set up uh, us up nicely for Ask Us Anything Friday. If you want to ask us anything, anything in the world. If you could wrestle any kind of bear, what would it be? <laughs> yeah, what bear? There's so many of them. Gentle Ben? <laughs> no, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you want to get a hold of us at the show, the Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. We'll do Ask Us Anythings and What We Learns. I apologize. We have no prizing today. But still, you get a chance to be on the radio. I love how people are t- texting in the ticket emoji They're still, still. doing it. Yeah. We've, we've trained them well. You Pavlovian <laughs> dogs. What are you doing? There's nothing to be had. You can't just throw. We don't have tickets lying around, just random stuff, right? Do no, we? We, do, we do not. Okay. So anyway, you can still be on the radio. It's your chance to be on the radio. So that's the 8 o'clock hour. Moj. And then what we learn is and ask us anything, and then we are all out of here on a Friday. It is Friday. It is 7.57. The final hour of the final show of the week is coming up next. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.